9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Go Plug Yourself. As we have discussed last week, it's going to be three weeks in a row of Go Plug Yourself, so sit back and enjoy the show. This week's episode is with Julian Schur, who you may know from his work as an investigative journalist and senior producer over on the Fifth Estate. You also might know him from uh, some of his uh, extensive uh, book writing, where he kind of has uncovered some of the darker elements of uh, of Canadian history, including uh, the Ku Klux Klan and the Hells Angels. And you might know him from what we talk about most about in this episode, uh, The Kings of Coke, which is an investigative documentary based on the West End Gang, one of Montreal's notorious uh, gangs uh, that uh, operated uh, well throughout the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and uh, and their their rise to prominence in, uh, in Montreal. Uh, Julian sit, came down to Grumpy's to sit with an SNI to uh, talk about the documentary, what got him into journalism, and uh, a whole lot more. Uh, go to uh, Julian Schur. If you, if you Google him, you'll find his official website, julianschur.com. And uh, you'll be able to see about his upcoming books. You'll see links to the Kings of Coke. You'll see uh, links to all the work that he's doing. Uh, it, it, he's a busy, busy man, people. Thank you for taking the time out of that busy schedule and just uh, enjoying a beer with us at the back of Grumpy's. Uh, this is Go Plug Yourself with Julian Sher. Hit it. Go plug yourself, you plug another plugger. Go plug yourself, you plug another plugger. We're doing the, the, the cold open, Ines. The Ines and I, uh, uh, farewell <laughs> podcast tour continues. And uh, Julian, Ines is leaving the city. She's going to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And My condolences. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> and and like, I think it was like three or four episodes ago, we were like, this is probably Ines's last episode. But then right. we've done like another... Another couple, so yeah, we just keep teasing my my departure. <laughs> I think this is the real last one, or at least well, the last you, could, you could still do it from Toronto, right? You could do it's this. Yeah, podcast. probably once in a while I'll jump on. Yeah, but do, I, uh, do the. It's just it's just so nice to do it in person, for you sure. know, to Nothing get to meet beats. meet up in person. So yeah, after really two years of Zoom, yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll exactly. talk. I, we can definitely talk about because this whole doc was filmed at the at the peak of the pandemic. There was no vaccine. It was wow. crazy. A lot of so. a lot of the sh- shots of the empty bars yeah. and stuff. I was like, I was like, oh, I bet you that was way easier to pull off. Yeah, during it the was. Pandemic. Oh, this <laughs> it, I was. It was, it was a director's dream because it was like Miami Vice, right? The, we had those drone shots of the streets at night, and yeah. when we filmed the cop, the ex-cop driving at night, we didn't yeah. have to shut down the streets; they were already shut down. <laughs> we had a permit to film after curfew. Yeah, well, that's that's a, a silver lining dream. if there ever <laughs> was one. Get those great shots. That's right. That's right. Uh, and also, we're, we're here at Grumpy's, and Julian also mentioned I'd be remiss if, we, if I didn't say that the last time yeah. you were here was while well, Nick Oftermeyer was still alive. That's right. I'm dating myself, <laughs> which is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've, we've had a couple people on the show. Uh, like I said, we mentioned Bugs. Uh, I think I want to say yeah. Andy Nolman also talked about Offermeyer. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime someone who I think knew him who That's walks right. in That's here, right. they're like, oh yeah, and he sat there Not and, there. and t- held yeah. court and whatever yeah. else. So yeah, uh, yeah Grumpy's. And, 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 you know, like Nick and, and like Grumpy's, uh, you know, the Kings of Coke documentary is really a, a slice of Montreal history. Yeah. And there's a, a quite a bit of time travel, really. Right. Sure. I mean, I you like know, we're taking you back. It was only 30, 40 years ago, yeah. but it, it feels like uh, another country. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think that that was we were uh, Ines and I were hanging out last night and it was just the one of the statistics you drop in the documentary. So 
First of all, let's back up a second. Julian Schur, <laughs> we're going to dive right in. The people know who we're listening to, but Julian Schur, director of Kings of Coke, uh, director of a bunch of other documentaries, author of a bunch of books. Like you, I was looking at your like career, basically tracking the Montreal underworld for the last like 40 years. 30, almost. 40 years, and, uh, and yeah. other topics. But yeah, I've been among looking other at things. I've looked at the underside of society through about seven books mm-hmm. and, I don't know, two, three dozen documentaries. Whew. Anyway, uh, but yeah, uh, and it's crazy to think that Montreal recorded, say, like, I think you said the peak was, like, 800 <laughs> bank robberies in a year. I'm like, that's more than two a day. Yeah, yeah that like seems, yeah. Like that yeah. seems like video a cra- game level. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That seems yeah. like Grand Theft well, Auto. Yeah. Yeah. When, when it, you know, when it, it, the, uh, you make a documentary, it's a very enclosed, you know, you're outside, but you're spending, you know, months and months and months in an edit suite, and, um, and it goes out usually on TV or now streaming, like this mm-hmm. one streams on Crave. But I've, I've seen this documentary twice in theaters with, with audiences, okay. and it's, it's a different reaction. And quite a few times people laugh. I mean, this is a documentary about murder and death yeah. and horror, but there's a lot of kind of fun moments. And everybody laughs when one of the former members of the West End gang, one of the bank robbers, said exactly on that, like how crazy it was. And he yeah. says, we were robbing like two, three banks a week, he says, and sometimes the same bank twice. Yeah. And he, he talks about the bank manager. The bank manager <laughs> says, <laughs> oh, you again. Oh, here's this guy. Such warm memory. Uh, yeah, and I mean the, um, the sort of the little tabloids, uh, the allo police and whatever, yeah. right. they kept That's track right. of crime, right. but they were very, they, they, they looked like you know, an addition of bad men. Like it was colorful. That's and right. There was yeah, the bubbles. Yeah, and they also, and they also always had had jokes. Like like yeah, the he- yeah. like Alopolis headlines are so often like jokes. Yeah. And yeah. you're yeah. like they're you're like absolutely they're 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 covering a murder of some kind. But uh, well, someone was just like I can't remember one of them. It was like right towards the end of the film. But one of them had like a, just a huge punchline on the yeah. cover yeah. over a f- over like a a, poli- a, a, dead a crime scene yeah. photo yeah. of a dead fo- of dead. You're but like, but, but that's also one of the challenges we had in the doc is that on the one hand you're you know you're making 90 minutes of a of a movie you want people to stay mm-hmm. and and see it as a movie with all the twists and characters um but we also didn't want to engage in any kind of hero worship right, right? which is what Alopolis did of course yeah. and at the same time you know no one's going to watch 90 minutes of dreary bad guys so we had to make these people come alive as mm-hmm. real people yeah. we had to explain why they had some support in the community and we had to deal with that whole mm, struggle that Montreal has where we're proud of our city and in many ways we're also proud of our bad guys you know yeah. we're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. proud to be it's the bank of, capital it's of, of, of <laughs> yeah it's like it's, it's part of like exactly it's it. Montreal has the <laughs> reputation of having Having the nightlife, but also like kind of being a, a sin city and, and, and everything else. Absolutely. And you're like, oh yeah, part of it is, I mean, and p- like part of it, it's, it's, it's in the title Kings of Coke, but it's just like drugs have never been very difficult to come by Absolutely. in Montreal. Absolutely. I mean, like we're sitting in a bar on Bishop, you know, we're right near Crescent, you mm-hmm. know. Um, this was the, you know, the heart of the, of the bar scene, but also the drug scene, yeah. right? Organized crime was active. People are you coming know, pe- here for People that. know, you know, <laughs> back in the day, and for all I know, maybe it's still going on, but back in the day, you could come to a bar on Crescent Street or Bishops or anywhere in Montreal, and you could put your beer and your Coke on a tab, right? Yeah. You could pay with it with a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's that overt, but like there's no, c- there was, are certain. No, was, no, no, no. I'm saying now. I'm oh, saying now. No, 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 uh, no. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm saying, but like, like Back only a couple years ago, it wasn't also that hard to do. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like it was yeah. maybe wasn't 
as maybe yeah. out in the open as it was yeah. then. But I mean, yeah. like yeah. Uh, Ines is a stand-up comedian. It, it, I've been coming here for years. That's right. It's the yeah. Bishop and Crescent have cleaned up, but not not pristine. You know. But <laughs> it goes back to why we wanted. You know, there were many reasons why we wanted to do this talk. Why I wanted to do it. But mm-hmm. you know, a big part was. You know that that you know. I'm born and raised in Montreal. Spent yeah. almost all my life in Montreal. I love the city like like anybody else does. But as a journalist, and also even as a citizen, you know, mm-hmm. you 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 can't love something and ignore the flaws, right? Yeah. You can't love something and ignore the the the, the dark side that you want to ignore. Right? Yeah. And I always. Um, you know, my, my last documentary before this was on the Taliban in Afghanistan, right, and the war in Afghanistan and what went wrong with that war. So as a journalist, as a, as a filmmaker, you know, it's my job to go to places that most people can't go right, and shock them, in, entertain them, show them something that they're not going to see except through my work. Right. Now, sometimes I have to go all the way to Afghanistan and interview the Taliban, or I've got to go to Africa and talk about the wars there, whatever. Sometimes we have to use hidden cameras and go into corporate intrigue. But if you can send that kind of postcard to somebody, to a place they've never been, and actually make it their own city, that is really cool. Right, because yeah. <laughs> because you know you're you're saying this is literally and you can we could st- stand out here on a tall building and see the West End. Right, yeah. we're not yeah. talking about some. I, I, I live <laughs> in Point Saint Charles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, and I live now very close to Point Saint Charles. Yeah. Right, so so this was not some you know extreme part of the city that yeah. you know that that you'd have to travel far. This was right in the heart of the city, literally in the shadow of the skyscrapers, mm-hmm. and few people. And very interestingly as well, few English-speaking people, yeah. right? You know, would venture in to the point if they weren't born there, yeah. right? And and um, I think what's what's um, somebody said. Two people separately wrote to me after they saw the doc, and they said. It was really, it was interesting. They said, this is an illicit love letter to Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was kind of, you know, it was kind of a cool way of... It's great. Like, I mean, like, I'm... (coughs) First of all, watching the documentary is great. Like, there's so much just footage of of Montreal from, like, like the news clips from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, which is, you're just, like, continue, like, if you're not a Montrealer... You don't need to see this, but if you are a Montreal, you're like recognizing landmarks, Absolutely. and yeah, you're yeah. like picking. You're like, oh, I think I recognize that corner. That looks like that park. That yeah. looks like, and you're just yeah. running like a geography map while like while you're watching the whole thing go down. Uh, but yeah, that's. Just, I think there's that extra element of, oh yeah, this happened in neighborhoods that I'm familiar with. Yeah, like, this this happened in Point Saint Charles. This hap- happened in NDG. This happened in like like the. the 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 container yards are still right there. Absolutely. You know, like, like yeah. the I mean, we fil- you know th- th- we're talking about the 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 sixties, the seventies, the eighties, and then the nineties. Mm-hmm. But this was filmed like in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and yet <laughs> you know, obviously there's a lot of archives. Yeah. But the real stuff you filmed, the streets still look the same. Yeah, the alleyways and the points yeah. still look the same, right? <laughs> the seaway, the the containers, the yeah. railway yards. There's that great scene where uh, Kathy Dobson. Uh, one of the uh, really the voice of conscience in the documentary, right? Yeah. She grows up poor, 
working class in the point. Um, she sees the West End gang all around her, and she's the one in the in the documentary who says they were pieces of shit. I don't know why we're worshiping them, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. And she stands up against them. That's right. Else, everybody else was. But in this right? in the movie. We bring her back to her home, which looks exactly like it did when she grew up. We're talking 30, 40 years yeah. with this kind of dumpy backyard. And then she's right at the train track. I, you know, I, I guess I'll give away a great scene, but she's right <laughs> at the train track where she discovers a hand because yeah. that's where the West End gang would dump bodies. Yeah. And it looks the same, right? Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're filming like 30, 40 years after she grew up there, and it looks the same. So, yeah. you know, from a filmmaker the point of view. Yeah, that's right. Or there might, or there might be, might be a, another hand. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we, you know, when you're making a movie, you're always trying to say, look, you can make lots of movies about organized crime or about bad guys. Mm -hmm. You know, what's... You have to find something that's special, what's different, right? So mm -hmm. as we've been talking, a big part of this is this was quintessentially a Montreal story, yeah. right? This was not, this wasn't about, I mean, it's called Kings of Coke, and you could make a Kings of Coke in Miami or in New York or, yeah. or Toronto, but this was Kings of Coke Montreal, right? Mm -hmm. It right. was about Montreal. And the specific thing that so amazed me about this story is that I've done documentaries. I've written two books on the Hells Angels. I've done lots of stories and investigations in the mafia. And when you say organized crime to people, peop especially in Quebec, people yeah. will say Hell's Angels yeah. and the mafia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the famous. That, that I mean, yeah, that the Sopranos mentioned That's right. Exactly. Mafia, exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then, you know, Sons of Anarchy, right? Yeah. So, so in our popular culture, and then specifically in Quebec, people know, that if, you, if you ask people name an organized crime figure, they would say Maurice Bamboucher, yeah. right, for the bikers, and like Vito Rizzuto, for the for the the mafia, so yeah. they're well known. That, but the thing about those gangs is, those are international organizations mm -hmm. that where Montreal is basically a franchise. In the case of the Hells Angels, it literally yeah, is a yeah, franchise. Yeah, you yeah, have to yeah. apply. You know, it's a trademarked organization. Mafia, of course, is different with Godfathers, but you're still a branch plant of a global organization. Yeah, of, which of, a, of a larger culture. That's yeah, right, and 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 it's very structured. The so West End Gang could only have been born in Montreal and could only have been born in one specific community in Montreal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had no, they became global, but they had no desire to take over the Toronto waterfront or move into St. So Leonard, you know? Ines and I were talking earlier today uh that like kind of ties into your question yeah, I yeah i was i was i was seeing you bringing it up because uh, dan sort of at the start of the of the documentary makes a comment that i i thought was intriguing where he he says the something that was this was special about that gang was that it wasn't really a gang in the true sense it was more i think he says like a network of people yeah yeah and I said to myself, well, I mean, all gangs are networks of people. Yeah. You know, that's sort of how they work. And they and everybody, you know, yeah, they have the Yeah, but the difference with Dan, and, and we so should say, this is, yeah, yeah, we're talking about Dan Burke. Was. So yeah. Dan, yeah. Dan Burke was my colleague at the Fifth Estate, mm -hmm. um, is really one of the, I think he's one of the heroes of the documentary because he, he comes from Montreal, grew up, um, you know, his father was a famous journalist, and he takes a, a, a quite an early interest yeah. in the West End gang mm -hmm. and in the Irish Mafia and comes to me when we're working together at the CBC and, he's, and he kind of says, I think we should look into the West End gang and particularly, we'll get into this later, the question we were asking is why did the most 
powerful cocaine trafficker in Montreal and possibly Canada at the time, a leader of the West End gang mm. called Alan Ross. How come for 20 years he never gets arrested in Canada and yet he gets arrested by in Florida by the DA? Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> what? So as a journalist, you're going, you know, that's a WTF, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. what is that about? So Dan Burke was the driving force. But Dan in the documentary talks about them being a network. So look, it's true any... In fact, the strength of the Hells Angels is they're a global network. You need drugs from Venezuela. You've got to hide somebody in Europe. Hells Angels can do it, right? Same with the mafia. It's a bit of a Hydra thing, too, right? Like, you can make a sting somewhere, and it doesn't doesn't, doesn't slow down the machine. But the difference is is that the Hells Angels is literally an organization. They have rules. They have bylaws. They have structures. There's a chapter president. There's a sergeant at arms. So, one, the police can actually map it out. Mm -hmm. And if you can send in a snitch, as they've done... He can move up the chain, right? right? And, and so in that sense, they're a network, but they're also an organization. Yeah, they're a corporation. Yeah. That's right. They are a corporation. Yeah. And they literally are incorporated. Yeah. Hells Angels oh, yeah. literally are incorporated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've sued Disney, you know, for trademark <laughs> violations. So Hells Angels literally are yeah. a corporation. Ma- the mafia, mafia is a family business, exactly, right? So exactly. it's a corporation, but it's family, yeah. right? But again, family gives you structures. Right, because it's the son and the grandson and the uncle and you know, and then the godfather. So they have a pyramid. The West End Gang—that was a name we invented in the media. They mm-hmm. were—they never called them. I mean, they landed up calling themselves, yeah, but yeah. they didn't—they didn't have membership cards. They didn't have a clubhouse. They didn't have a leader yeah. like a, somebody who you know wa- so wasn't so the anyway. Informality. It was—it was informal, which meant. They were, so think of it almost as like compared to an army, they were guerrillas. That's mm-hmm. what made, they were great because you wanted to do a bank robbery. Who's the inside guy? Who's yeah. the safe cracker? Who's the getaway? Then when it came to cocaine, who controls the port? Who ca- so th- that flexibility gave them the ability to grow rapidly, but also made them almost impenetrable by the police mm-hmm. because they didn't, so that was their that was well, yeah, their strength. Like, see, it seemed, from at least from the documentary, again, we don't want to give too much away. We want you to watch it. It's on Crave. <laughs> Get the streaming numbers up through the roof. Uh, but yeah, it seems like sort of throughout the documentary that that always kind of is the problem, where it's like the people who are actually running the show, That's right. it's like they, it does change from person to person as people get arrested or die off. But it seems like it's a very close knit. So it's like it seems like there would be no way for, to your point, like to like let's try to get an inside man. Yeah. You're like, no, that guy. I didn't grow yeah. up with that guy. Like, I don't. You know, <laughs> where, where did he come from? What is he trying yeah, to get yeah, here? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, He didn't yeah. transfer in from somewhere. You're yeah, like, no, no exactly. Yeah. There, 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 there's uh, one of the, the one of the cops who devotes his life almost taking down the West End gang. There's Andre Savard. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of scenes where you see him. Well, you hear him on audio tape talking to an informant, yeah. a snitch. Mm-hmm. That was a guy who was in the West End gang, but uh, well. A, a bit on the outside, right. but you're right. I, you know, in my books on the Hell's Angels and investigating the mafia, most big operations, certainly a lot of operations, always depend on some kind of snitch, some kind of informant. Yeah. Um, uh, that's what took down the Hell's Angels in Quebec with uh, an informant named Danny Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the West End Gang, they they never had. A major snitch. They never had somebody who flipped. They were they were both loose and uncoordinated, but also very very tight knit. Yeah. But the flip. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, but the flip is also true. If you're a structured corporation and Mom Boucher goes to jail, 
that's okay because you've got a bunch yeah, of other independent chapters and, and the hills angels and the hills angels is a brand you know so so you know uh you know we're you know we're across the street from a mcdonald's say and the m that manager screws up it's okay you bring in another manager yeah. it's the brand yeah, right you can also hills angels can continue the mafia continue the problem that they they that that the west end gang struggled with is because they were unstructured it took a powerful leader who would rise, and then one after another, the powerful leaders got killed by their own, mm -hmm. thrown in jail. And so eventually, that's what led eventually to the, and we, we end the documentary that way, that no other organized crime group that I can think of in North America rose that quickly, but also fell that quickly. Yeah, like, like disappeared. Like, I mean, like, I, we know, like, like I, as I... <coughs> Not to age myself too much, but <laughs> I, I, when I w when I was growing up, I remembered the like the biker wars were like exactly. nonstop news. Right, like that that was the nineties. That's whatever. right. And like, but even now, I know that there was the massive sting operations or whatever else. But I never got the impression that like, oh, there's no more bikers in Montreal. That's right. It's taken care of. Whereas That's the right. Western gang, you're like, oh yeah, they're largely not. They're not, not you know, no, they now if another no if another gangster. leader comes up, you know, it's possible there are still Irish gangsters, yeah. you know, but they're they're no longer, you know, as a as a functioning gang. Yeah. Uh, and that that was that was their 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 weakness. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing that's so interesting about Montreal and we, we it's early on in the documentary is, you know, I was talking about kind of time travel and 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 taking people on a journey to places they've they've never been. Mm -hmm. What's what's interesting also about the the West is the political geography of crime in Montreal. Yeah. So you know yeah, the fact you, that you draw, you, the, you you draw the and map you literally, literally have a map, right? <laughs> I mean, there's overlap, right? But you have the Italian mafia based in the north end of the city yeah. and largely controlling the north end. Not, not they con they control cocaine everywhere, but that's their base. You know the and still large Italian communities there to this day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> East End, French Montreal, is where the Hell's Angels came out of. You know they have clubhouses across the province, but in Montreal that was their stronghold. And there were other uh, French gangs in the in the east. And then you had the West End yeah. gang, right? Which you know, which were in the West Anglo part of Montreal. What was so intriguing about the West End gang is they were a kind of double minority. Because they were an Anglo-English gang in a French city, which meant the French, largely French-speaking police force, yeah. wasn't exactly on top of them, mm -hmm. right? But they were also poor Irish right. in a wealthier Anglo community, right? Yeah. right? So yeah, they you're like, like the point is just <laughs> south of Westmount. <laughs> That's know? right. Like you're, you're Literally on the yeah. wrong side. At the yeah. old days, it was the yeah. tracks. Now it's the highway. Yeah. You know. So th they were a double minority, which meant. They were quite, quite widely, they were dispossessed, oppressed, right, in poverty, impoverished. They hated the police. They hated the elites. They hated the justice system. There was very little place for them to go. So criminality was, you know, a very strong option. Or you'd get to work in the ports, mm -hmm. which was important and eventually would become important for criminality. Yeah, it would, yeah, it would become key. That's right. right yeah. That's right. So... You know, it's it's um, you know, it's never to justify crime or to you know, because people have 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 choices. Um, like Kathy Dobson says, right? This this mm -hmm. young woman who grows up poor, her dad is a cop. He leaves the cop, becomes an enforcer in the community. She, you know, scratches and crawls her way out of the community. But she points out how it wasn't easy. You know, because no. you grew up in that community, the West End gang controlled that community. Yeah, and you know? and I, yeah, it is a 
it's a big source of crime almost anywhere and like famously the Italian mafias of North America also come out of that out of the fact that as Italian immigrants and Irish immigrants the same it was very hard to get employed yeah. in, in sort of yeah. In, yeah. in honest work and whatnot and yeah. so they find yeah. their own way yeah. and whatnot yeah. so yeah. it's yeah. certainly the a big part of the explanation if not the justification of it that's right and the other thing I mean it changed over time a lot of the West End gang leaders moved out one of them the one of them moved out to the West Island had a, a kind of home there mm-hmm. others moved to the South Shore yeah. but for the longest time and and many of the members stayed in that community not just the point but basically in the west end and and that's also what made them different like the hell's angels they have clubhouses but the clubhouses if you've ever been to some of them are fortresses i mean sure they're on your street or if you're in sherbrooke you know they're they're in your area but these are like castles right mm-hmm. they're they're not living and breathing in your community um, the They're the not West a real neighbor. That, that's yeah. right. That's right. The West End gang would terrorize people, and uh, we can get in. You know, would would kill people. But because they lived and breathed in the community, and everybody you know knew somebody, they would. You know, they were famous for delivering Christmas turkeys to people who need it. There, they would donate uh, to the to the the church that's still there in the in the point. So much so that at one point, when one of the leaders is on trial, a Catholic priest comes in to testify as a character witness. He's right? Like, this, <laughs> you this, good, this good Christian boy could do nothing wrong. Yeah. You know, so Looks so after his community. You know, exactly. so Goes so and, and, and yeah. that's right. So again, as as Kathy Dobson and others point out, she has a great line where she says, "I don't I don't think we should look up to look up to these guys. I think they were." pieces of shit Mm -hmm. that's true but at the same time they had enough ties to the community that it was harder for the police to come in and get people to rat on them or right. inform on them, right? They had that that yeah. Well, that the, the community was their fortress. Absolutely. Yeah. Their like, particularly, yeah. Particularly when you think about Point Saint Charles, like up until like I'm going to Point Saint Charles for like the last like I had a girlfriend in Point Saint Charles in the early 2000s, and it was still dicey then. Yeah. Now I live there. It's there's moments of bad alleyways, but largely it's like on the men. But even in the early 2000s, it was still like yeah. dicey, like. You, if you saw a cop in Point St. Charles, you'd see a couple people, like, giving him the eye. Yeah. Still. And this is in the 2000s. So yeah. I can only imagine back then in, like, where you have, like, the, the West End gang or whatever, regardless yeah. of whether or not they're harboring criminals, cops were not necessarily welcome. Like you said, a French-speaking police officer in That's an right. Irish-English neighborhood. Not going to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not gonna work. I want to ask a couple That's questions. Right. They're going to be like... Mm. But what, ma- what made the West End gang different and dangerous is... They're not a street gang. Like, we've been talking about them as if they were a community gang. Yeah. And that's true. They were based in a community. But you look at street gangs right now. Montreal, like other cities, has a yeah. huge problem with street gangs, right. right? North end of the city. So street gangs can terrorize the community. Like muggings. Um, and muggings. Yeah. Uh, you know, might endanger your kids. Selling drugs. They can beat up people. So, you know, we all know what, what the problem is with street gangs. The, prob- the difference, though, is that... If you live in a comfortable neighborhood or a neighborhood where there's not a street gang, that street gang that's on the other side of the highway or in yeah. the north end of Montreal or the east end of Montreal really has no impact on you, yeah. right? I mean, like, it's your neighbors, it's your, ci- it's your, yeah, it's your, it's city, your city, but, yeah. but it's not going to affect you unless yeah. they come trashing through your neighborhood and try to steal your car or whatnot. But yeah. street gangs, by, by definition, are street, and so they you're, you're not, tend to be not, geographically yeah. you're limited. You're not scared of a street gang in Montreal North if you live in LaSalle. That's right, that's right. <laughs> you know, like the difference with the West End gang is that for the longest time, they were basically based in the West End. They did bank robberies all through Montreal, mm-hmm. so that caused them. Bank robberies. Then they started... 
victimless crimes. Yeah, that's though. right. That's right. And to some degree, they were seen <laughs> as quote the good criminals because yeah. they, yeah, they were they were dressed Robin as priests. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But know, only going after the s- eventually with the bank robberies, they start killing people. Right? Yeah, they exactly. killed innocent bystanders. They killed a cop. Mm-hmm. So now you know. Okay, you want to stay in your community? That's one thing, right? You start robbing banks and killing people. That's another thing. Then they start bringing in drugs through the port, right? Yeah. Because the Irish, for a whole bunch of historical reasons, control the port and work in the port of Montreal, control mm-hmm. it. The port, for people who don't know it, is literally right near the point, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's yeah. <laughs> it, they're yeah. touching, right? Um, so, uh, and then once the West End gang gets control of the port and the union, that's great at any moment, but suddenly in the 70s and the 80s, here at Grumpy's and in yeah. other bars, you have an explosion of cocaine. Mm-hmm. You've got to bring in the cocaine. It gets flown in. It gets smuggled in across the border. It gets through the airport, but the best way to bring it in is through the port. Yeah. And the Hells Angels and the Mafia and anybody else, these big-time organized criminals who wanted to bring in the massive amount of cocaine, because Montreal was a cocaine capital, mm-hmm. you know, you had to go through the port, and that meant you paid a kind of po- a toll. Yeah, it's a, like to well, one the way or the other, you're working with. So they were yeah. just getting a cut without any without any of the risks. So suddenly, this street gang, this community gang, is now affecting you because. If your kid is on coke, or if your neighborhood is flooded by coke, or if if there are addicts who are who are robbing you, or B and E's, you know that's in part thanks to the West End gang. Yeah. So that becomes a problem. But the real problem, and that's where the whole second half of the documentary <laughs> looks at, is the problem with organized crime is not just the murders, which are bad enough, not just the drugs. But it's the cancer in our society yeah. because of the, the corruption. corruption. It's yeah. the corruption. That, you know, it's kind of, you want to screw up your neighborhood, I guess that's your problem and maybe your fellow citizens' problems, yeah. right? You start selling drugs, whoa, that begins to be my problem because drugs don't have a geographic, yeah, exactly, you know, location. But you start corrupting the lawyers, the police, the justice system. Yeah. That's the pillars of our society. Yeah. And that's what, you know, there's a great quote from one of the American prosecutors who goes after the West End gang. And he points out that, you know, cocaine is about money and money in our society is power. Yeah. And that power leads to corruption. Yeah, well, and I mean, again, it's right at the start of the documentary. But, like, it, the whole thing kicks off ultimately with a lawyer that's right. being Sidney Leithman, yeah. who's like one of the most, you know, his name is not that well known to people today, but back in the day, there's a great line where if you were a criminal almost of any kind, and certainly if you were involved in drugs and you got arrested, the first thing you said to a cop was, get me Leithman, right? Yeah, like he he was the goat. Yeah. He yeah. was a celebrity lawyer. Yeah. There's great pictures of, of him with, with Frank Catroni, yeah. who was the undisputed leader of the mafia, right? Um, He became the go-to house lawyer for the mafia, for the Hells Angels, and for the West End gang. And a big part of why any of that worked, as is you alluded to, is there, there's judges that are in his pocket. And, and it trickles like... That's and I think right. That that, and it, it, it's funny, like we were, uh, again, watching the documentary, that it doesn't, like, when you say, oh, you don't want to, like, celebrate the bad guys, but, like, there's also, like, very few good guys. You know what I mean? Like, where uh, even... Um, uh, Officer Savard right. uh, mentions like, like right towards the end, he's just sort of like, oh yeah, the system sucks. Yeah, like like even as as a member of the system, yeah. he's not like mm-hmm. he's not portraying the no. p- that that system is great because he's like, how did we like he talks about some of the sentencing yeah. that happened. That's right. He's like, how yeah. like, they yeah. work it's, and these guys are getting off in the it, legal it's, system. It's one of the values. It's one of the advantages of doing a documentary 
20, 30 years after the fact, right? Yeah. Most of the documentaries I've done and, and a lot of the books are in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. When I was doing documentaries and writing books about the Hells Angels, it was still going on, right? right. So that's, that's, that's good, and you want to be there when it's hot, but it's hard to get people to talk. Yeah, either there's they're, they're, yeah. They're, they're scared, they're in jail, they, you know. What's great about revisiting a chapter of organized crime 20, 30, 40 years later is um, like we, we got two ex-members of, of the West End gang to talk about robbing yeah. banks yeah. and talk about being, you know, what their leaders were like because they've moved on. The one of them spent like 30 years in jail, but yeah. now he's willing to talk. And then cops who are notoriously taciturn and are not going to speak to you while they're wearing a badge, mm -hmm. right? Now that they're retired, like Andre Savard yeah. and John Westlake, are much more honest, you know, about their feelings, about about pushing the envelope, if not crossing the line. Yeah. So it, 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 it leads to a kind of honesty that yeah. you don't usually get. So, But, you know, sort of on that point and, and what you were saying, you sort of start to understand how I think that the criminals start to look like the good guys to a lot of people yeah. because you're like, well, even the ones who are pretending to be good guys are just as bad. And, and, and on top of it, there's a layer of the hypocrisy and the shirking of their duties yeah. and the fact that they're meant to protect the people and protect the laws. And they're yeah. not doing that. At least the criminals are sort of open. Yeah, you the, know, criminals are sort are of are the criminals are, are, honest, honest are honestly bad the bad guys. Yeah, guys. I think you have to watch. And, I, I and think I that's think true. I think that's yeah. true. And we, we you, you know, know? I, but, but I think you have to watch, you know, what's called moral equivalence. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, like in, in, you know, a corrupt cop is, sure, he's a cop, but he's a criminal, right? Yeah, he's exactly he's exactly. breaking the law just like a bank robber. And in fact, arguably, it's worse. Right. Because he's, you know, exactly. a, crim a bank robber is not you know, he's he, honest he, about he, being a bank he, robber. He's <laughs> obviously, you know, he, he, <laughs> you know, he's not going to be anything else you expect him. A cop is is supposed to uphold the law, and yeah. for him to break the law, mm -hmm. and if you call nine one one, you don't expect a bank robber. To that's show right. Up. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, I don't think I, you know, I, I I disagree when people say, oh well, cops and criminals are the same. Well, no, you know, good cops. Like, what is a good cop and what is a good criminal? A good criminal is somebody who gets away with murder, yeah. <laughs> drugs, or whatever, yeah. right? You know, maybe tries to avoid hurting people, but in the end doesn't care, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's what's so important about the West End Gang is a lot of these guys would, you know, um, uh, you know, were, were fun to hang out with. You'd have a beer with them. But as one of the journalists said, they just as soon kill you, right? Yeah. They have, yeah. you know, they have no, well, you, you, again, you know, like I said, you, you a good cop, right? Unlike a, a good cop... You know, we'll never break the law. We'll yeah. follow the rules. Mm -hmm. And in fact, and that's what I think we try to show in the documentary, it's so much harder because he has to fight or she has to fight with one hand behind their back, right? Because they can't turn corners, right? Yeah. They, they can't, can't cheat. They can't, yeah. cheat. they can't fake the evidence. Yeah. So it's, I, it's I think it's just, I, I totally agree with all that. I just mean in terms of the, the image that these guys seem to have fostered at the time yeah. they were in the yeah, height the of their yeah. almost popular... Exactly, sure. it's especially sure. because it's people who have often been, like, people who are not involved either way, but who have been, like, on the, you know, short yeah. end of, of a bad yeah. cop and of a, of a corrupt judge and or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so then they, you know, I it, you sort of start to understand the, the sort of the yeah, hero absolutely. worship how, how that builds around. And where, you know? you're, where you're also heading in the right direction is that what what the what you know Andre Savard who's the the kind of main police protagonist in our movie mm -hmm. who goes after the West End gang you know he says in the end you know he doesn't think 
he's corrupt there you know and he isn't he's he's quite a hero in many ways in in my eyes but what he says is that the system doesn't work right yeah. he's trying to do his job right and the system the justice system yeah, is forget broken. Who it is, but like someone gets an unbelievably light sentence yeah. and he's like yeah. what yeah, he's like, right. what did we just do all this work that's for? Right. You know, that's like right. Yeah, what that's it, right. You know, that's like right. some people risk their lives for yeah, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then he gets off or whatever. That's right. That's uh, right. Just to change gears just a little bit. So we, we, we've obviously talked a bunch about the West End gang, and you should go and watch Kings of Coke on Crave if we if you haven't if your interest hasn't been peaked already. But something you were talking about how you've made a career sort of of like turning over stones, looking underneath yeah. them, and finding yeah. the dark underside. So how you said you grew up in Montreal? Yeah. Uh, again, we don't want to age you too much, but so you're growing up in Montreal. How does like little Julian grow <laughs> up in Montreal and then go on to become an investigative journalist who is investigating like the dark underbelly of organized what? crime, of uh, international incident, of yeah. Uh, where, how do we? Well, I grew up. I grew up uh, in Cotonèche, okay. right? Kind of, you know, lower middle class, working class mm-hmm. neighborhood. Um, loved it. Li- grew up in an apartment building uh, for um, all my uh, childhood. Mm-hmm. I went to North Mount High. Um, and I remember when we, <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, I went uh, in high school when I, when I went to summer camp. And, you know, I was quite proud and happy to be in North Mount High. And um, some of the richer kids from other neighborhoods, they kind of said, oh, those are the slums, right? <laughs> like, and I kind of said, hmm, I took... I took, I took umbrage. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. it. But, you know, it was, a, you know, so, um, and I, uh, I go to uh, McGill University. Mm-hmm. I knew when I was in high school that I wanted to be a journalist. Okay. Like, obviously, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a firefighter, a cop, Zorro. I'm dating myself, you know, or, <laughs> you know, wh- whatever. But, you know, once I was like, oh, what I knew I wanted to be a journalist. I started writing for the, the high school newspaper. Mm-hmm. Literally, my first interview was with then Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Oh, wow. Because I just wrote, like I said, I'm writing for the high school paper, so I write to the Prime Minister's office with some questions, and they write back. I mean, it's not him. Yeah, like it's, it, it's quotes from him. Yeah, it's yeah. from his people. But I thought that was pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah, it's you know, and, so I, and then You said a number of times, the long, ga- <laughs> the long game for this <laughs> podcast is to get a Prime Minister on. That's right. Very good. Very good. <laughs> very, good very good. Very good. That's very how good. we want to go. So, so um, you know, and I go, I go to McGill, and um, and I and I even before I signed up for any classes, the first thing I did is I went into the McGill Daily office, said I want to work with you guys, and I spent the next years working there. I mean, I went to classes, graduated in history, but all I did was work on the daily every day and every night for you know uh, for years because um, I knew I wanted to be a journalist. But so, but um, I- but like, is it was it is it the like uncovering thing? No, that back, like, well, well, back what, then. No, 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 I'm just saying like, what, like, I'm not saying you necessarily you were like trying to break the biggest stories in the world as a high no, school. No, back then it was just it was just telling stories, right? Okay, I, so knew, I knew I wanted to be just a journalist. Telling other people's stories but we, in journalism. but I remember even at the Daily, which was fairly left wing back then, for all I know, it still is, right? Mm-hmm. So we would, you know, didn't look at corruption, but we would look at things the administration was doing. Right. We'd look at union affairs. You know, I, I was never interested in like tax stories or puff pieces right. or you know, great athlete comes. You you know, I was interested in the scandals, okay. right? I was so in that sense. Even back then, I was always interested in the in the in the dark side, right? Right. Um, I remember early on doing a story back then. Back then, it was called streaming. It's where, depending on how good you different were in school, now. yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so it, a different yes, now it has completed. <laughs> but back then in schools, it meant like smarter, which usually meant white 
you know, richer kids would go into an enriched program, enriched streams, you know, yeah, and yeah. then and then the working class non-white kids would go into, regular you know, stream. the regular and alpha men technical and, yeah. you know, so, so I remember investigating that like, like early, early on. You're like, then hang on, wait, there's a, there's an honors program and absolutely every person in the honors program is a, like yeah. upper class kid. Right. Like how, you know. how did this so, happen? So how I was, all, you know, happen? I was, you know, I, I, I grew up in a progressive home, so I was always interested in, in I guess what we called injustice, but certainly in, in the kind of the WTF question. Why is that, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the basic journalism is why, right? Yeah. And I was always interested in why things go wrong. I get a job by the time I'm 30. I get a job at CBC. I'm working on the morning program. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm uh, on air, and even then on air, I started doing uh, a series on pollution i did a series on failing schools right so again i was always trying to push what's going wrong mm -hmm. i then produced the morning show but eventually i moved down to tv and i start working in the investigative unit yeah. so i look at fire traps in montreal yeah. then is i remember this, is this before the fifth estate yeah yeah or before okay, the okay. fifth estate it was called yeah. Newswatch back then now it's it's just the regular local news but i did fire trap city we investigated fire traps and landlords mm -hmm. then i did this was before the internet i'm really dating myself <laughs> so i went down to city hall and looked through all their paper records and we found the 10 most dangerous street intersections in the city Right. And and like literally could say, look, if you're a citizen, this is the worst corner to, to cross because they were like, whatever, 20 deaths. Right. What? And we would look at and part of that. Do I, them, do any, are any of them still? They're still right. I remember like, that there's a great scene of me standing like in the <laughs> middle of the Dakari Express, well, almost in the middle with uh, a road expert. And we pointed out how the way some of the roads were built violate the government's own code <laughs> like the entrance ramp is like you if you try getting on the met at like yeah. near christophe colomb or a certain place like that you you can do it but you have to be like an indy 500 yeah the on you know, ramps are you're just like you have you have 10 feet to you get have ten, you, and it just you know so so i i just love doing those those kinds of things then i get to the fifth estate mm. right Fifth Estate, people who don't know it, it's CBC's premier and Canada's premier investigative show. It's like 60 Minutes, right? And it's but it's better. It's, but Let's better. be real. It's exactly. Better. It is better. <laughs> and I spend most of my life at the Fifth Estate um, working with Dan Burke, right? Mm. So, and Fifth Estate is only investigations, yeah. hardcore stuff, right? So I, I look at, I mean, I've gotten people, I've put people in jail. I've got people out of jail, wrongful convictions, mm. police corruption. Um, political corruption, right? Mm. Um, and uh, I'm famous, probably most famous, uh, way after we did West End Gang, um, and I'm really dating myself, but some of your older <laughs> listeners or the, or the people listening, ask your parents about this, <laughs> but the <laughs> there's a famous murder case, 1959, a teenage boy named Stephen Truscott yep. is sentenced to hang for a, for the rape and murder of a classmate, and I grew up with that story. Mm. He his sentence gets he's found guilty, he's convicted. Instead of hanging, at the last minute it gets commuted, he's sent to prison. Okay. Right? It, there's a raging debate in the '60s in in Canada about the death penalty yeah. because of that case. He gets out of prison on parole, lives anonymously. Forty years later, I'm an investigative journalist at the Fifth Estate. He calls up the Fifth Estate, he and his wife, and we investigate. It takes two, three years. I then write a book. Ten years after we started our investigation, he gets exonerated, gets wow. six million dollars. So I do a documentary and a book on that. So that's the kind of thing that I live for, right? Yeah. That you know. 
the West End Gang story came out of that because yeah. as I s we said at the beginning, Dan Burke and I are both Montrealers. We're working in Toronto and he says we should look in the West End Gang and how is it that their leader never got caught in Canada? Yeah. And and this is a good like entry into everything we've been talking about because we as journalists we don't have the answers. I right. mean, I have gotten brown envelopes, so occasionally you actually get a document with Maybe yeah, a bit of an answer. Even then, it's a clue. You don't know the why, yeah, right? You, so have to, you still have to have verify. That's right. Verify. Like so Dan and I, I hand you a brown when we started, and I, that's right. And I don't want to give away too much of the documentary, mm -hmm. Kings of Coke, but it ends with a kind of shocking ending and a real tragic consequence to both what the West End gang was about and what journalism was about. But when Dan and I started, we didn't say, let's go find a corrupt cop, right? Let's go, you know, we just yeah. asked, we just asked, What's Why going on? What's going on? Why didn't the leader of the West End gang get busted for years and years and years in Montreal? Yeah, like was it incompetence? Was it bad laws? Or was it corruption? Yeah. And, right? th and that's, I think, I think that's one of the one of the things that like you touch on and, and could even become almost a whole other other documentary or book or what have you is when we, we spoke about earlier in the show is like the Allo Police and stuff. Is that's that right. like like organized crime in Montreal was an open secret. So you're like, like we all we all know not say we all know but like at various stages like we all know about these organized crimes we even know some of the figureheads we even know some of the names and then all of a sudden you're like but wait a second these guys aren't arrested you know that's like, right you're that's like right. how do, how do I as a teenager or whatever right. in the nineties know the name of a criminal that's right and, and I know he's a criminal well but somehow he's not behind bars well like after after I did the documentary with Dan Burke on the West End Gang where we answered the question why is it that the leader of the West End Gang never gets arrested in Montreal yeah. and only gets arrested in Florida we moved on to the Hells Angels during yeah. the biker war that yeah. you lived through right yeah. and those people who don't remember in the 1990s like you know Chicago and Al Capone I think they had something like 30 murders right mm -hmm. over years like it, it was bloody but Montreal like had 160 Four, yeah. you know, in yeah, the space I, it of like it, it was, it was, it was like bombings. I, said, I, I was, I was young-ish, <laughs> but like the the volume of car bombs. I remember having like a childhood fear of car right. bombs. <laughs> <laughs> like because it was like literally the news every day was like be another bomb another exactly car bomb. so the question you know, I, was just, I was like how did what and if they was, and it wasn't the fun drink that that's right. has that's too many that's, right. that's right that's yeah, right yeah no but like so in my mind so I'm like what if they right. like, like, right. like so weird 1992 <laughs> 1992 I do a documentary with Dan Burke uh, at the Fifth Estate why is it uh, that the leaders of the West End Gang are not arrested 2001 mm -hmm. I do a documentary on why is it that the Hell's Angels are literally getting away with murder. Right, yeah. they they were literally murder trials where it was obvious the Hell's Angels did it, and yeah. they would walk. Mom Boucher walks the first time, you yeah. know, out of his trial, and will only get charged they and uh, and finally convicted the second time. So, and then I landed up with Bill Marsden, a great journalist who's in the documentary, yep. and was at the Gazette at the time. He and I do land up doing two books on the Hell's Angels. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, you know, so in that sense, you know. From the time I was in high school, I, I was always interested in, like, what's wrong? Like, why is this going on, mm -hmm. right? And who's responsible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think as I grew older, obviously I was, I was interested in bad guys. By that I mean, I don't just mean the criminals. I mean, arguably, the real criminals, right? The justice system that's yeah. corrupt, mm -hmm. the laws that aren't working, corrupt. Yeah, well, I you mean, know. and I think that, that, like you mentioned earlier, like... It's that that makes it so much worse, right? Because like right. you're like a bad guy who gets caught and he's arrested and then he's supposed to have like due process, gonna have a trial, gonna have whatever else like that. You're like, okay, he he did his bad thing 
and now he's going to suffer the con. And then if there's a, the, the bad judge at the top of it, you're like, wait, right. there's no consequences? That's right. And, like, that's and right. That, that's where it gets, like you said, real bad guy kind that's right. of. You but know, like but where, where, what I learned, and I don't think I knew it when I was a kid starting off in journalism, but now um, if you look at, uh, like the next book I'm doing is called North Star, Canada and the Civil War Plots Against Lincoln. Yeah. So I go all the way back to the Civil War and look at how this Montreal. Is, by the way, like yeah, you were like telling <laughs> us in the pre-interview, is like, like blows my mind. That's right, because like ju- just like you know, we think Montreal is a great party town. It's and it is, but there's a dark side. We were the bank robbery capital. Yeah. We were the cocaine capital. Well, the myth, but, the myth a, but we also have a liberal. Kind that's of right, vibe, because like we're progressive. Yeah. yeah. So the the myth we tell ourselves and it's based on truth, is Canada was a haven for escaped slaves. We were the Underground Railroad. We were on the side of truth, justice, and the angels with President Lincoln. Mm -hmm. The reality is, while that was going on, the elites in Montreal, the major newspapers in Montreal and in Toronto, the church were on the side of the South, were on the side of the slave states. They... They supported the conspirators. They hid one of the accomplices for months in the Quebec villages, yeah. right? Um, while the American authorities, right? There was a guy who, who planned early biological warfare. He wanted to infect the North with yellow fever, and he was aided by Montrealers and people in Toronto. So, but you were saying, well, they, so, yeah. so that's going to be my next book. But th- what I realized as I grew older is. Sure, I wanted to talk about the bad guys, whether it's the West End gang or Confederates who are being aided and abetted (laughs) by wealthy Montrealers. (laughs) But the real power in a story is if you could make people think because you're not only surprising them with a story they didn't know Mm -hmm. or better yet, a story they thought they knew. And you're actually, you know, you think you know about Montreal as a party town in Sin City. You haven't seen anything yet till you've seen Kings of Coke, right? right? You think you know Montreal and the Civil War? You haven't seen anything yet till you've read my book. But what I'm really trying to do is not only point out the bad guys, whether it's criminals or corrupt cops, but point a mirror, a dark mirror, if you want, at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want viewers of the documentary, readers of my book, to say, oh, you know, what, what does that mean about me? What does that mean about the choices I'm making yeah. in a society, in our justice system? Yeah, we were talking a little bit earlier of too about, like, when you watch, when you watch Kings of Coke, it's a 90-minute it's a runtime. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's heavy, but it's breezy in terms of, like, actual runtime. But, like, almost every character that you introduce could easily be the yeah. topic of, like, an hour-plus right. documentary. Mm-hmm. And, again, that, and I'm, like, not to say that like you should do that next but like you're like you have this character that you introduce or it's not a character it's a real person but like in my mind i'm like wait how did this how did this that's guy right. grow up that's how right. did he get here absolutely how was he recruited by the hell yeah. yeah. what was his first like yeah like, how did he get to become yeah. the mad bomber and, you know? and, like, and, and you're right and what we try to do in almost each character dan burke talks about it yeah. kathy dobson talks about it um the cops talk about it is you don't want to make it black and white. They talk right. about their struggles, their misgivings, right? Yeah. Their their uncertainty, right? And you want to weave that. In 90 minutes with at least, I don't know, I think we had fo- four to six main characters yeah. and then at least quite a few walk-on cameos, <laughs> right? You know, so it was it was hard to juggle. But absolutely, you want to delve into these characters. Yeah, you're like, how did this characters. guy get to the That's moment right. where he's... 
That's right. Blowing something up. That's right. Like, that's right. That's right. <laughs> one of one of the, one of the uh, cops in in the movie talks, and it's a whole scene we built. But in the end, we had he kind of he grew up, and he said, "I could have gone either way, right? Like I was, you know, I was with the criminals, mm-hmm. right? I I got busted early on. As a, I could have gone either way, you know. Uh, I landed up being a cop, and he was a very honest, determined mm-hmm. cop. But mm-hmm. that well, kind as of as Kathy's dad does the opposite. That's right. Also, that's right. You know, that's it's, right. It's that's very right. much so, like so a black and white. So you, you know, you, so I think as I grew older and started, you know, writing my seventh book, done dozens of documentaries, you re- you know, when you're a young kid, everything is black and white. And especially if you're a journalist, right, you want to go out there and uh, investigate the bad guys and guy, expose yeah. and, you know, and, uh, and, and that's still important. I think I still try to do that. But you realize we have to explore those shades of gray mm. so that it goes back to what I was saying. I want the viewer to be uncomfortable or yeah. unnerved or at least pensive, right? Yeah, Think, questioning. Questioning. Yeah. Like all, the, all these guys were kids. All these guys grew up. All these guys that's have right. the real that's people. Right. Yeah. That's right. Imagine that's right. heinous things. That's right. That's right. But like I th- I, I, yeah. yeah. Oh, so I was just going to, I think it's, I've been thinking while we talk over the last little bit that it's interesting that, um, journalism does try to take this this point of view or like or that that's sort of the the mission of journalism because right. there's every once in a while or quite often like stories of crime or corruption or something where where journalists are the ones who who find who find the thing or find Absolutely. the guy or find the story rather than 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 the cops or the bodies and that's not necessarily because of corruption and i think a good cop or a good detective takes that same angle but overall, without overly psychoanalyzing the professions or the people who go into them, there is, there is this way in which in which cops, like and um, you know, in the documentary very early on, um, Savard talks about how you know when he started out as a cop, he was just stationed at the botanical <laughs> gardens. And he was like, I have a gun, I want to use it. But you know, it's sort of that <laughs> angle of of as a cop just wanting to find the bad guy. Yeah. Whereas as a journalist, you want to like step back and look at the whole story and understand like where he came from and, and who he is why and is why and where <laughs> from and, and, and how that often is the way that the whole story breaks open. That's right. And how, That's right. you know, That's probably right. other systems could benefit from yeah, that we approach. Yeah, we, we, we talk about that all the time of when they like, like we hear it all, like especially nowadays, we hear it all the time where like you're like, oh, like why, why, are, why are many gang members black? And you're like, right. well... Systemic racism has dealt them a hand that that's just gonna that's just how it's gonna be. It does, it's not a racial thing. It's a, a decades, if not centuries, of oppression have led a bunch of things to be oppressive for them that they're more maybe likely to look to that as an avenue. Or to use that example, yeah. it's like it is a racial thing, but maybe not the way you thought. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, not, so yeah. not a so sort of biologically you flip yeah. you, you land up flip flipping the story. Yeah. You know, like you you know like, there, oh, there's you can't, a can't truism. Get a loan, you can't that's do this, you can't right. do whatever. And you know, yeah. when when you're when you uh, when you start off in journalism or whether you when you when you're interested in journalism, there's a couple of slogans that journalists like throwing around which make a lot of sense. The most one of the most common ones is speak truth to power, which mm-hmm. is true, right? So, you I know, thought comedians own that one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Well, comedians do it in a, a good comedian. Like there are comedians who just make fun of of people and 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 uh, you know make you laugh. Mm. The good comedians, I would argue, is exact. They actually do speak truth to power, right? Mm. They're biting sarcasm, right? Yeah. Whether it's Trevor Noah or any, you know, they they take on the powerful. They make you laugh, but as you're laughing, you go, "Wait a minute!" Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's something seriously screwed up here, right? Well, so that's what the, the sort of the beauty of journalism meeting comedy is quite great. The yeah. Daily Show under John Stewart and absolutely, Trevor Noah, it's sort of it's sort absolutely. of the perfect marriage. And and I don't want to, you know, we we tried to make kings of coke sure it's a documentary we tried to give it the feel of the departed or the soprano yeah. you know we wanted to make it a movie but yeah. at the same time we wanted you to laugh at times right and yeah. see some of the humor but so one of the truisms that we tell ourselves in journalism is speak truth to power which mm -hmm. is true when dan burke and i started investigating the west end gang the two powerful things we wanted to see is Let's take on the West End gang. Let's expose them, right, mm. for who they are. But more importantly, sure, the West End gang is powerful. But as you see in the documentary, we landed up going right to the upper echelons of the RCMP. Yeah. Right. Mm. We went. Like, why are, yeah. to, why, why are none to, of these guys? We, we went on? to the yeah. pinnacles of power. Right. Yeah, so why are real. These guys would, justice so that's often. right. I would argue real. You know. You know. For me, shoddy journalism is saying there's a cocaine epidemic in Montreal. Well, okay, but tell me why. Right. Yeah, Better yeah. journalism is saying. Here is the West End gang. Here's their power. Okay, now yeah. you're, you're taking a risk. You're taking a personal risk. You're pushing things. But if you can then, the best journalism is you say, there's cocaine. There's a cocaine epidemic. There's this gang that's very powerful. Who in authority? Yeah, who's allowing let this, this to happen? Who's allowing it to happen? That becomes a much more powerful story. Mm -hmm. and, and then the, 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 the final thing is if, and it's not, always doable but is again is if you could force people to reflect on themselves mm -hmm. either their responsibility mm -hmm. or their prejudices their their myths or even just make people rethink some of their assumptions right yeah. you know i always thought montreal was a party and a fun town and a sin city well yeah but did you realize that had consequences yeah exactly you know yeah or I always thought, yeah, I heard about the West End Gang, and I thought they were kind of fun criminals. They were Robin Hoods. Yeah. Well, maybe, sure, they gave out Christmas turkeys, but here's a dark side that maybe yeah. you didn't know about them. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, that's you know, um, it. But to be frank, it's it's a challenge because. You know, you don't want to be the castor oil of journalism, right? You don't right. want to, you know, <laughs> you go you go see a doctor, you want to feel better. Um, you know, so you, you, you don't want to be troubled by like a cancer diagnosis. So mm -hmm. as a journalist, I'm doing dark topics, right? My, my books have been about the Hells Angels, child abuse, um, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and now I'm doing, you know, the Civil War. So these are, can be quite downer topics, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the challenge is you, you don't want to give people medicine. You don't want to lecture them. Yeah. So you have to figure out a way, like I think we did in Kings of Coke, to tell you a, a powerful, a disturbing story, mm -hmm. but tell you in a way that you'll watch it and in a strange way enjoy it right mm -hmm. yeah. so you know so i wrote two books on child abuse and 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 child sex trafficking yeah. and you know like those yeah, are exactly those are crummy like, topics like, a weird thing of like you're like i do want the reader to keep reading that's right but it's a dark <laughs> so those were one of two of the hardest because yeah. there you really dealing with the dark so you do it by 
obviously talking about the heroes and the heroines, the people mm. who are saving these kids, and you find good stories where right. the kids triumph, right? Um, in West End, in Kings of Coke, we do it through Kathy Dobson and others, yeah. right? Yeah. People who, 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 who triumph. Um, but that being said, you know, I don't think we, I don't think we try to sugarcoat things, right? When no. you're dealing with, um, you know, whether it's the Civil War, racism, uh, the Hell's Angels, the West End Gang, you know, my job is to is to show you that, you know, as we were saying, yeah. lift up that rock and yeah. show you what's underneath it. Yeah. I will give that. I will give a quick shout out to our former guest who also helped make the documentary engaging. Which is Shane Murphy. Yeah. The, the Shane Murphy track. Oh. Absolutely. Isn't and it talk great? About, <laughs> talk about Crescent Street. Yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. Crescent yeah. Icon Absolutely. Shane Murphy. And he was on Shome recently yeah, yeah, yeah. talking Pop about the music. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah. been on the he's, show. He's yeah, yeah. Once or yeah. twice at least. Yeah. 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 Every, every track I was like, oh, it's Shane Murphy. And then there's like another one, another one. I think he has like four tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite, it's quite. That's part of what makes it watchable. Also, the animated sequences I find are beautiful. So this is. Yeah, I was going to mention that. The artwork is sort of in its it's the right degree of sort of sober, you know. That's I, right. You know, so it has so like we, we wrestled with this because, so we, okay, you're doing a documentary. Um, most of the people are dead or are not going to talk to you. We have great archives. I mean, they're amazing archives, right? Allopolis, like we, you know, we yeah, use their archives. They're, they're flipping yeah. through it. It's insane. It was actually, I've been, I was thinking about that. To me, like, that's a very powerful, I mean, speaking of like the line you had to, to sort of, you know, be careful of not crossing um, or to, to balance on in terms of like the tone. I thought those archives of the Allopolis, we were talking about how, you know, the original, they, they, were, they were very bright and they were yeah. very jokey and they were very sort of like, you know, the banal in some yeah, ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, then, and then Dan is looking through these archives of them and they're in these leather bound, like golden yeah, boss. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know what I mean? And it's, and it's that, I feel like the documentary is that. It's sort of like a more sobering, yeah. like that's serious, you know, wrapping up of this that's right. neon candy content. That's right, kind that's of, right. You know? yeah. But then, so, so we knew we were going to have, we have great photos and we have, and they're quite People pointed out in the screenings, you don't see news coverage like that anymore. Yeah. Like, so they, they, you know, back in the day when they were filming bodies, they showed you the bodies, right? Yeah, they exactly showed you the right. blood seeping out of the head. And we showed some of that because we wanted yeah. to show you the consequences. But we had to figure out what are we going to do for the things for which, you know, no every, everybody knows yeah. Dooney Ryan, one of the first leader of the, of the West End gang, will be killed in Nidolo's Hotel in the West End, right? Yeah. We have his body coming out. We actually have his body on the floor. Yeah. But... To get him to that hotel and to have the shooting, we know the TikTok. We 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 know what happened, but how do we illustrate it? So, a common thing, especially in a lot of Netflix and other documentaries, is recreations, right? And if you have a big budget, you could you basically have actors, right? And it could look very real, right? Mm -hmm. The guy comes out of the car, you see hands, you see a gunshot. The problem with that, aside from the cost, is if you're doing journalism, you know, I don't, you know, what now shoes? It's a yeah, yeah, yeah. With, uh, you know, what what shoes was the guy wearing? And especially once you start showing faces, and yeah. you know, so so um, the producers, God bless them, came up with the idea of this kind of film noir, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. And it's pr- a and it's graphic perfect, novel, really. and it's perfect because mm. almost always it starts and ends with a picture you've seen in real life. Yeah. Like you actually see the hotel, and then it turns into, 
a, yeah. um, uh, uh, a kind of film noir. In the opening sequence, when Sid Leithman is driving his car, yeah. right? Nobody had film of him driving his car, but that last cartoon, if you want, of his car cuts to the real photo, yeah. which yeah, looks it's exactly exact, it's yeah. exactly the yeah. same. Yeah, so, so you get to use only the details. That's right. No. Yeah. Or you have some some that's amount right. of certainty were true, yeah. and then adding nothing else. That's and, right. And that's capturing right. That's the right. That's right. Yeah. And at the same time, as you point out, there there's also so on the one hand, it allowed us to be accurate. It allowed us to be fair. It allowed us to not go past any kind of. We weren't inventing any journalism. Yeah, no speculation. You know, but at the same time, it also reflected the mood, yeah. which was allo police, a bit film noir, a bit. You know, comic book, like you know, they yeah. it, it 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 kept Just the mood. Just that, that hint of of romanticizing, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. but not. Oh, and also so. scary, like you know, when yeah. you were kids, you would read these cops and robbers yeah, comics, yeah. right, and the Avengers type stuff. Yeah. Um, so we're already at, we're already at an hour, but we do close off every show with a bit of levity. Okay, uh, very good. <laughs> so we ask the uh, we do a segment called Five Questions, which is we ask every guest the same three questions. Okay, fire away. The fourth question is from our previous guest. Right, okay, cool. You. And then the fifth cool. question is, what question do you want to ask our next guest? Okay, Without cool. knowing who it is. Okay, that, very good. That's the fifth question. So All right, cool. That ready All right, let's go. Uh, Ines, if you want to take the first one. Did you? Oh, yeah, okay. I did. They're so ready, they're ready. So question number one, what is your hottest take? Like of the moment. How to so take in like terms hot, of... Like a hot take about anything. You're like, I don't like these boots or whatever or right. anything. It could be a momentary flash in the pan, but like... Right now, take. you're like, I have this opinion, and it may not be the most popular opinion, but like of the moment. Not an all-time take. Right. <laughs> I love good country folk music. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that, that's coming from a born and bred Montreal. That's boy. right. That's yeah. right. So that's that's, that's pretty hot. That, that's that's pretty hot. hot. That's yeah. right. That's right. Because <laughs> most people would say, you know, I like, you know. Did you, uh, did, great you go, rock did you go to the Lasso Festival in Montreal, or did you not, not make it? Or no, 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 one? no, no. I, I, I've, I've gone to a couple of you know folk country festivals. I was in Nashville, quite okay. disappointed in the end. Actually, oh, no. I went to the Grand Old Opry, yeah, but I love good. And, and I must say, if you want to go down that road, one of the reasons I love country um, and good country, not you know the soppy stuff, is because it's great storytelling. Right. They're yeah, so yeah, economical, course, yeah. right? They'll have a couple of opening lines, and you know the whole history of the person, yeah. right? Just by the way they're describing their clothing, right? I yeah, love so that economy of storytelling. So you're going more, more, more folk, less like yeah. pop country. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see that. That yeah. I can get into. <laughs> like more the the pop, like top forty country. I'm yeah, like no, 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 not the twang. Not, not yeah. there. There is a deer in my beer. No, yeah, no, not that. Question number two. All right. And this is something we need to we need to cycle this out because it's getting old already. And oh, okay. I listen, we need to compound the data first. <laughs> <laughs> is who is the star of Sesame Street? According to you. According to you. Oh, that's <laughs> I, and I'm a because I have grandchildren now, right? right. So, so, so you've I been watching it, for yeah, like so I've been and, and I started off that's right. <laughs> Although not, not my kids my kids grew up my kids grew up French, so we were actually a passepartout family, okay, right? Okay. Right. But but we watched a lot of Sesame Street. That's tough, you know, because I think most people would say Big Bird, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but you know, I kind of lean le I I kind of lean to Cookie Monster. Okay, but. I I think in the end my heart would be with Ernie. Oh, I'd be getting Ernie. Ernie more frequently. I'd be Ernie. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I want to say overall, and maybe this is what we were expecting. Like we, because we 
initially got into a sort of informal <laughs> argument about this during a podcast, which is why we turned it into right, a question. Right, right, right. Is, and it said it's slightly generational. Oh, yeah. And, eh? that, and that lately, Elmo, sort of, and by oh, yeah, lately, Elmo, I mean the yeah. last few decades, yeah. Elmo yeah. has a young, real... A young guest will almost you know, say, say Elmo. Say Elmo. Yeah, 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 no, but I even... if toy yeah. and and, and uh, you know, a lot of people are like, Elmo, what are you talking about? But it sort of depends. And yeah. then Big Bird, I think, is sort of, yeah, the big, the big the sort of constant But there, one. there's yeah. a the sarcasm in Ernie. Cookie Monster is... But yeah. Ernie's, there's a kind of either a, sli- a snideness or a snarkiness, right? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of is cool about Ernie. Yeah, and he is a very, like, recognizable, very yeah. sort yeah. of, yeah. like, sure. iconic yeah. part yeah. of the yeah. gang. Yeah, yeah you, sure. you could go to anybody who you yeah. haven't watched... Sesame Street in like 30 years and yeah, no Bert and Ernie. Like that's right, that's right, that's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, question three, yes? Oh, sorry, my phone just... <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, I know it. I know, yeah. What piece of media has been formative in your life? And it doesn't have to be the most formative. It yeah. could just be something that it you feel just a, is like... like, a, like a book, a song, a oh, movie. Uh, something where you heard this and you're like, oh, everything changed. Something that made you, wow. Yeah. Oh, like change. A, a I was going to say, my, my favorite movie is Casablanca, okay. right? Just because, just the way it's shot and, mm. and what I... You know, and the famous lines, of course, you know, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship or, you know, there are two lives don't mean anything, you know, the kind of the, uh, the Humphrey Bogart line. But what I, what I left about Casablanca is, aside from its movie making, is it's about choices in key moments, right? right? You're, you're, it's ordinary people and suddenly a choice you make has life-altering consequences, Right for yourself, but maybe you know, and and so in many of my stories, you know, that's what I, you know, like we, we see it in Kings of Coke. Yeah, there it. are certain paths and certain choices people made, and it led to huge consequences, including when Dan and I made certain choices. Right, it led to tragic consequences yeah, for exactly, people. So it. you know, mm-hmm. so so I, so I think that so certainly Casablanca both as entertainment, but also as kind of a. A like guide a philosophical to well, and as a guide to storytelling, that mm-hmm. good storytelling is about choices people make, sometimes not even realizing they're making a choice, and what that leads to. Yep, yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I agree, and I was like, I always, I think, like you said, like good documentary filmmaking or good filmmaking or good storytelling in general yeah. has you as the as the viewer, as the reader, yeah. as the listener, wondering like, wait, what would it? Like, what would I do? Exactly. Given those that's choices. Right. That's, like right. That, like that's the, right. That's, that's right. And, you know, in horror movies, it's like, no, don't, no, don't go down the yeah. stairways. You know, yeah, they but they those, those aren't choices. choices. <laughs> they make terrible but, choices. But those aren't Watching real choices, right? Those in are, Cas- yeah, those are easy. Those that's are right. Very, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Do I open the door or do I not? But in yeah. Casablanca yeah, I, I, and, and in Kings of Coke and in, you know, in, in my new book, North Star, you know, North Star, what do you do? Like, you know, it's like, you know, when the Civil War starts, it's it's not that easy what side you're going to be on. It's yeah. not obvious. So so those are the the kinds of things. So that's why Casablanca for yeah. me was. I was I was going to say I was like there was something that like always stuck out to me when you were saying like all oh, those choices and stuff was there was a I probably mentioned it previously on the podcast um, a couple like a year or two or maybe actually even less after the Columbine shooting right. happened right. Uh, there were videos of the shooters that came up uh, of them just kind of like goofing around and doing like little skits and stuff in their basement where they come off as the like funniest kind yeah, of like, yeah. charming little geeky yeah, guys yeah, yeah, yeah. and you watch that video and you're like oh what what series of events took these like That's charming right. like, f- yeah. fun kids into and led them to that <laughs> and it's always it's no but it's always like it's always stuck out to me yeah. where i was like y- these aren't these like brooding like i hate everything they're they're doing really like fun like genuinely funny charming little bits to each other and you're like Oh, these kids would go on to do something Killing horrific, him. and it's always like stuck with me 
to be like to see how similar myself and my high school friends were to the sketch version of them. Like the kids doing the sketches, I was like, oh yeah, I I see myself yeah. there. I don't see myself at the end game, but you kind of wonder. You're like, oh, that what series of events led to these kids having fun to yeah. like, a horrible atrocity? Because mm-hmm. like when I watch that version, I'm like, oh, I see myself and my friends in high school in those kids. Like, see, series of events have also a very quote unquote normal life. I mean, I don't, you know, like I'm sure. Yeah. Every person goes through very right. particular things yeah, and exactly. things you wouldn't expect, but it's it's sort of overall their their environment wasn't going through anything shocking. They weren't surviving a war. They, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. something very much that these two people living as everybody else around them was somehow made Some choices. But it goes, and, it goes, yeah, exactly. but it goes back to what, things that's and, right. And it goes back to, cetera, you know? but you know, the, the, the very word choices is loaded because the the choices you make are sometimes imposed on you, right? right. By the color of your skin, mm-hmm. by your gender, by your class, by the the you know uh, we used to call it you know um, like postal code lottery, right? Depending right. literally like what postal code or zip code or what country you're born in, right? Yeah, of course. So yeah, two kids school, born today, you know, to one 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 kid born else. in Afghanistan, another kid born in Alberta, like what you know, like those are so. You have choices, but yeah, there's some, they're, they're you know. They're both so blank slates as babies, but they're going to have different lives. Different choices. I so mean, if, if that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, from the yeah. moment they're conceived, like, things are, yeah, are yeah, already yeah, exactly. working, so, you know, so, in their but favor. That's why I think, you know, I mean, I think in, in, in my books and in my documentaries, I, I try to look at the choices. The choices you make, mm-hmm. especially when you have a choice, right? When there's a turning point in your life or in a crisis and you have a choice, what choice do you make? Mm-hmm. That's my uh, answer. Question four comes from our former co-host uh, and Montreal comedian, Walter J. Ling. Uh, he's doing a show. Wally. What? I just said Wally. 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 Okay. Or actually, he just did a show. But he has a series of comedy shows uh, called Rad Dads. Right. Which uh, is basically just a lot of comedians who are parents. It's right. called Rad right. Dads because it rhymes. Right, right. But like, he's had moms on the show cool. and so on and so forth. And he's had sort of some lame dads as well. Some yeah, lame so dads. The whole yeah. Dads. Exactly. Not all the Bad dads. dads. Yeah. Sad dads. <laughs> uh, so because it rhymes, okay. he wanted to say, what made your dad rad? But was we were quick to sort of point out that they were like... If you didn't have a good relationship with yeah, your father, yeah. it's oh, that's an easy answer. It's, it's what, what made the the the, the uh, my what, dad what rat? What made your dad your dad? Yeah, <laughs> no, my no. dad. Oh, that's an easy. That's yeah. an easy. That's an easy answer. Um, uh, my dad. I mean, my mom too, mm-hmm. in her own way and in a big way. But my dad made me who I was because, in in several ways, he had we had books all over the house, um, and I thought they were from the library because they were all numbered. Right, and they had like plastic. You know, he he did he did kind of his his own his own his own numbering system, and he gave me like I think a John Steinbeck uh, novel, like when I was twelve, and I thought he was like the smartest guy on the planet. And then I was shocked, you know, as you grow older, to learn that he was a high school dropout. He grew up in the depression, right? He had to quit high school, never graduated, because he would take me down to see theater in New York, right, and give me these books. And so, you know, the 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 value of of learning, right? right, and the and the, the the worship of the word, and then that same summer, I remember I was twelve. He made me, 
read every morning i had to read and i'm really dating myself there was a newspaper called the montreal star yeah yeah <laughs> you know and mm -hmm. and back in the day it wasn't whether you're an english family or a french family is are you a star family or a gazette family right, right? that was <laughs> at least among anyway so we read the month and so i had to read the montreal star every day for that summer <laughs> right and i remember god forbid that was and i'm really dating myself that was the year of the summer of the flag debate we we most kids growing up most kids listening watching yeah. this only know the canadian flag right. as it exists but we didn't have that flag for the longest time yeah. and so so and th so that helped that the fact that he was giving me books and then made me read a newspaper turned me into a journalist yeah that's so that's he that's was he was a real rad dad it's i feel like it's it's it was also probably very valuable because a lot of people take a long time to get here or never get here to to understand that your dad what was a very smart person and a very intellectual person and a yeah. curious person yeah. and a high school dropout and that's you right. know what I mean and that's these right. conditions yeah, they're, they're not, were not, not one and the yeah, same the way that's right. the that's way right. we yeah. so well, it's much the hardest thing I mean the hardest thing is to see your parents as human beings right. like whoa yeah. <laughs> like it's like it's yeah. right because you just see them as mom always, and dad I, yeah, I always and find it it's not to say fun but like like when you when you age past the age where your parents had you and you realize that you know nothing. That's right. And you're like, wait, my dad and then, knew yeah, nothing? And you, and, you <laughs> would, and you would ask them anything that came into your brain. Yeah. If you had a question exactly. about the solar right. system right. or like right. moral right. philosophy, like, on, my dad they had, had to answer it. Early yeah, 30s? yeah, yeah. We, we, it was the Super 8 movie we saw once. Again, I'm dating myself. <laughs> people will have no... Well, you have to have asterisks in this, in this podcast so people can understand like, what is Super 8. But you, there was a Super 8 where my mom was dancing at a birthday party of my cousins, right? And I realized we calculated she was about 35 right mm -hmm. and of course you see your mom as as ageless like she's right. always whatever she's you last saw so right? and nothing. i looked at her and i said christ she was as young as i am right and like yeah. i'm going you know at 35 like you're completely yeah. freaking out you have <laughs> you know you 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 have kids but it goes back to you know what we were talking about at the beginning like i realized my dad you know made choices Right. He made, you know, he's a high school dropout, had to work, you know, in a factory, but he made choices that he was not going to let the depression or his working class background mm -hmm. or his lack of education stop him from being a self-educated, really smart guy, right? So, uh. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Julian, what question do you want to ask to our next Yeah, question? right. Well, obviously, okay, that's right, that's it. right. Okay, who is the third leader of the Hells Angels okay. of the <laughs> Sherbrooke? No, no, no. No, I, that's a good question. Okay, I would ask them um, if, what is the, if there's one thing about yourself you could change, Okay. what could it be? Are you, are you saying like like a physical thing? Well, I was gonna. I'd leave it open because okay, I would. Okay. I would because some people might say I'd like to be taller. I'd like to be stronger. You know, personally, I'd be more interested in the in inner self. But it could be outer or inner self. Well, we could, ma we, could make it, we could make it more Julian and say, what's a choice you've made <laughs> in your life? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that you'd like to change? Oh, I like oh. that. That's a better question. That's much better. <laughs> okay, so because what, what is so a choice what, what you made a in your life you like That's right. What is a choice you made? That's a great question. And that could still go small. You could go, I, I wish I had had the blueberry muffin instead <laughs> of the whole meal <laughs> one, you know? That's but, right. That's but, right. That's right. You know, right, it still gives right. you a peak. That's right. That's right. That's a good question. Do you want to take a crack at it? We also like the... The hosts usually take a crack at it as the as the guest asks it. Do you want to say what, yeah. are, what, what is, is the choice, choice you've made in your what life? Like choice? Toronto. Like that's a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 lo I, I lived love. in Toronto. Um, no, I don't, I don't know. I think um, it's not a choice I entirely regret, but it's a choice that I'm, I would be curious to, to have another go at. Yeah, and it would be the choice. 
either to not necessarily to go to university in itself but but what I did and I was like I I came from from a very sort of like intellectually oriented family and we were very like school oriented right. and like and my parents really valued sort of like yeah. intelligence and academic achievement and and you didn't go to university you decided I d- no I did go oh you did go I okay. did go okay. um, and, and I'm, I'm glad I did I liked the thing that I studied I thought it was very interesting I still like the things that I know because of that but I wonder if I had been sort of more honest with myself about the kind of person that I am and the things that I'm interested in, whether I would have gone into something like prop making or right. yeah. set design yeah. or uh, I, I don't know. Chosen you know? a different major. Or a different yeah. Idea. And I mean, something that is, I don't know, like maybe even journal, but we were like journalism, but we were very sort of like book academics, ivory tower, like sort of that kind of right. thing. Yeah, and yeah. and I thought that's, and I, and I have been very sheltered by by school i felt like very comfortable in school i felt very comfortable being a student and i think i i like the idea of remaining in that bubble forever but i think that that i as i learned very quickly isn't actually it doesn't actually work well with me it was just something that i I was familiar with i think as a but if i had been sort of if i had been more adventurous if i had gone what if i wanted to be out there getting to know people. That's or, right, or, or gone to know. Europe, traveled around the world, yeah. discovered, yeah, no, that's, exactly I mean, I think that so. speaking as a parent and as a grandparent, I think one of the hardest things for parents to do is to have confidence in your kids to let them make their choices, right? right? So it could be, I really think it'd be good if you went to university, but you have to decide, right? And, yeah. And then, and I, yeah, and then and let you decide, right? And I think a lot of it was also me sort of projecting my own ideas of who my parents were because now that I, 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 I'm a comedian, I ended up in, in comedy and yeah, of academia yeah, as I yeah. thought I would. And I, I, when I was sort of, you know, wondering what my parents would think of that and they were a hundred percent on board and they think I'm hilarious and they're so excited for me to make cool, it. And, cool. you know, yeah. and I, and I think, you know, like had I let myself think of my parents as, as more multifaceted, complex humans, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, been so narrow-minded about how narrow-minded I thought they were right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. about what I needed to do with my life or it whatever. Is, it is and, wild, I, and it's not yeah. that I was like, oh, God, I got to go to law school even though I want to be a clown. Like, it's, I, did <laughs> want, I did want what I chose, but I did feel like there were expectations that were right. pushing me in that direction, and maybe they weren't there to begin with. You know, yeah, who yeah, knows? Yeah. 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 Uh, for me, I don't know. I... I've made a like a string of very bad choices in life. We all do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. But but like a lot of them have kind of like worked out and like and put me into where I think I'm in the right, right spot yeah. in life now. Uh, I would say that the, the the choices that I, I would wish that I would have changed is uh, I have a hard time necessarily completing things. Like I put pen to paper on a couple of books. The fact that you've written. Seven? Seven. Yeah. Seven is, is <laughs> like, awe-inspiring to me. Uh, but, like, yeah, I wish that I, I would have... And I'm not saying there's, there's no time. I'm not I'm, I'm not going anywhere, listener. That's. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, but, like, I, in my mind... But I think pre-order his book I thought today. that I would have right. at, <laughs> at least, like, sent a manuscript to a publisher by yeah. now. And I, and I kind of wish that, for whatever reason, I had made a series of choices that had, had either led to me to stay in and write when I went out and partied or whatever else. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. it was like, but that, that's really, I was like, I would have thought that I would have at a younger age. And I kind of wish that I had not to say I wish to even publish it, you know, like, like that's a whole other hurdle, but I'm like, I literally wish I would have put a manuscript together by now in my yeah. life. That's, that's, that's something that I would have, would have wanted to change for myself. Uh, 
Julian, this has been an awesome, awesome Oh, it's time. been great, guys. Uh, I, really, I really so enjoyed it. Watch Kings of Coke on Crave. Watch Kings of Coke on Crave. Uh, if you visit my website, it's my name, julianshare.com. Yep. It's got all the links to watch the documentary and interviews. I'll post this mm -hmm. interview once you put it up. Um, and um, all those books we were talking about. Yeah. And, and then the, uh, and the, the new book comes out in 2020. Uh, it comes out in April, April. April 2023, the North Star, Canada, and... The Civil War Plots Against Lincoln, published yeah. by Penguin Random House. It's all on my website. S so Spoilers from the pre-interview. Just that right. the Montreal Gazette was anti-Lincoln. That's is, right. It's hilarious I to know. me. Like in, re in retrospect, oh, yeah. it's like it's it would have been shocking if I at the time. Right. No, what's amazing? Like just <laughs> and again, you just want to go down that like like yeah. like li like when Lincoln gets assassinated, yeah. the Montreal Gazette. Um, and many other papers. The Gazette is not the only one to blame. Many other papers mm -hmm. in, in, in English Canada, in fact, most of them, um, they literally, some of them say, well, he had it coming. He was <laughs> a despot. Um, the, the Montreal Gazette story is kind of saying, oh, this is not going to be good for the South. <laughs> like, like, you know, and, 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 and then, um, uh, you know, and, and um, Jefferson Davis comes up to Montreal, the leader of the Confederate States, comes to Montreal after he's released on bail. Doesn't go to Mississippi or Memphis. He comes to Montreal. Why? Because that's where the Confederates are hanging out. That's where his family is. The Gazette reports on him as kind of like a hero coming like to, hero to, hero to, to, they're doing to Montreal. They're starting a ring of that's gangs right, in that's the right, West that's End. Right, that's, <laughs> right, that's right. That's right. And then, the and then what's, and the what's, what's, what's <laughs> like, and then what's, what's, so then you say, okay, well, that was the time, and, you know, it took yeah. people time. All right. So flash forward. Then, you know, in, in the early 1900s, around 1914, one of the Confederate mercenaries who used Montreal as a base and crosses into the America to rob banks comes to Montreal, and the Gazette again writes a very kind of positive. Heroes welcome. This, heroes, this is a, like 1914, 1959. But then it gets, then, it, then it flash forward, and, you know, we're really going down the rabbit hole here, but flash forward, it's like the 1950s. So oh now no. we're talking the 1950s, right? We're not. By now. Yeah, kind of, you know, like the civil rights movement is starting. There's a guy named Martin Luther. King, you know, like, like, like so again, you have much so Montreal with the veneer, <laughs> at least, or like the retrospective veneer of like this liberal. So it's the 1950s. Jefferson Davis lived in Montreal, was treated as a hero by the Gazette. His mother is buried in Montreal during the Civil War because she dies here in a kind of unmarked grave at the Mount Royal Cemetery. Mm. So a, a Confederate sympathizer decides to kind of honor the gravestone and put oh a no. confederate flag the gazette not only puts it on the front page oh, right as like you know but then writes an editorial saying <laughs> you know like I like did not age it well montreal gazette <laughs> <laughs> so you know now the gazette's you know my wife has worked for years <laughs> at montreal gazette it's kind of saying many of my best friends have yeah. worked at yeah, the gazette exactly. i know, i've like i've written that's yeah. right i've written for the gazette so it it's a great paper it has a great history mm -hmm. but it goes back to where we started cool. right the reason i did the west end gang is montreal is a great city mm -hmm. we have to look at the dark side right mm -hmm. montreal gazette you know, less so now because of cutbacks, but has a great tradition, has yeah. a great newspaper. But part of that tradition, it's important to yeah. show, is that they supported the South. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's something, you know, something I guarantee and you. Who knew they would, they would have that big of an opinion to begin with? <laughs> right, exactly. That's it. Like, I feel that if you, like, did a man on the street segment 
Uh, that's right. Being like, oh, like, we're, we're the Gazette, like, you know, like, that's right. Confederacy or. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, people, really? people would laugh and say, good one. Yeah, where's, that's the, right. where's the candid camera? And yeah. walk right. away, that's you know? Right. Yeah. That's there right. it is. This uh, has been great, guys. Thanks Julian, a lot. this was a blast. Thank yeah, you so, thank you so, so much, much for coming on. It was great. Right. Uh, Take care. And like I said, obviously, check out your documentaries, read your books. Check out my website <laughs> and email me anytime. Glad to answer questions. Awesome. Thanks, thank guys. So hey there, loyal listener who listens to the show all the way past the closing credits. Um... Thank you for listening to Go Plug Yourself. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, If you enjoy the show, I cannot stress this enough. Please tell people about it. We don't really have a budget for marketing or fancy Facebook ads or putting up billboards on the street. Uh, We really have to rely on word of mouth, which uh, basically means that if you listen to the show and you enjoy the show, please uh, share it, link it, uh, tell your friends about it. Say, hey, there's this show called Go Plug Yourself. They talk to Montrealers or people that have stuff going on in Montreal or uh, just people that have stuff to uh, promote that we kind of care about. We can we can go outside of Montreal if we want to. Um, yeah, so just tell tell people about the show. It's a, it's a fun show. We, we like doing it a lot. We've done it for over 200 episodes and it's in large part thanks to support from uh, people like you. Um, if you want to support the show at all you can go to uh, patreon.com slash nine to five cc and uh, throw a couple bucks our way it really helps with uh, the hosting fees for the most part we're really not trying to make a profit on this um, and also if you want to be a guest on the show or you know someone who might uh, want to be a guest on the show you can uh, contact us either on facebook or on twitter there's a bunch of ways to find us uh, and uh, and let us know and if the scheduling and the timing and everything works out maybe you can be the next person who uh, comes on the show and uh, plugs something a uh, big thank you as always to Leland Beckman and Oral Turpitude who provided our theme songs and of course a thank you to uh, all of the hosts that we have on the show Uh, Walter J. Ling who technically retired but still sometimes hosts Uh, Christopher Vendito, Lawrence Korber and uh, Ines Anaya uh, are all amazing co-hosts and you should support them and their comedy and uh, and all of that. Uh, Thank you for listening thank you for choosing Go Plug Yourself uh, as one of your from the millions of podcasts and have a beautiful day Thank you. 905.cc, podcasts, blogs, and comics, made in Montreal since 2011.